Thanks for listening. Join us now for Perry and Shauna Replay from 89.3 Modi Radio. So, Tessa, you, you were born and raised in the Middle East and born into a Muslim family. And uh, tell me what it was like for you to grow up in a Muslim family in the Middle East. My family were nominal Muslims, Perry. So that means for those of you who are thinking, well, what on earth is a nominal Muslim? It's very similar to nominal Christianity in the sense that you consider yourself a Muslim because that's what you're born into, but you don't practice it. So my mother didn't wear the veil. They didn't pray five times a day. They believed in God in a general sense. My dad was a doctor and he had a very scientific approach to God. He felt all religions were the same. They were made by human beings, designed by human beings. So we did not need them per se. And so that was really the mindset that I grew up with. But when I was about 13 years old, my parents unfortunately were divorced. Mm. And mom and my sister and I moved to England. And I started attending a boarding school for girls. Now, it was not a Christian school, but English boarding schools tend to be very traditional. And tradition required that you went to church on Sundays. So I was asked to go to church with all the other girls. But because I was of a different background, I was told I should sit in the balcony and read my own holy book. Okay, so you you were told to sit in the balcony and read the Quran. But before we go further, let's pick it up there in just a second. But, you know, people listening right now are thinking, what? A nominal Muslim? You know, all Muslims are these just extreme, radical, they you know, are out to kill us. And you're saying that your dad really didn't even essentially believe in much of a living God. I think my dad did believe in God. I just don't think he believed in all the claims of Islam and all the requirements, all the tenets that makes you a Muslim, essentially. He practiced good conscience. He practiced being as honest and sort of kind as he possibly could. He was a very kind man. My dad came to the Lord in his 70s. He was baptized. Wow. But, you know, that took a miracle of God. It really did. Because on his own, he sort of felt like a human being should be able to decide what's right and wrong and choose right, choose good. He was very humanist in that sense. And yes, there were many people like my dad and my mom and still are people who are more humanists, people who do believe in God, but are not radical Muslims. Yes. And that's the point I want to bring out that the caricature that we have of Muslims is just so wrong. It's, there are so many different flavors, if you will, of Muslims. And I think it's important to realize the most important thing to realize is that there are people like you and me who live and breathe and have families and want the best for their families and want to hope for the future. Absolutely. I had so many people, friends and family members, delightful people, kind people, gracious people who were doing their best and trying to make a better world. They were not terrorists. They were, they were very similar to the person you'll see down the road living from you. And so, yeah, that's a very good point. 
Okay, so let's pick it up. You're at boarding school and you're told to sit in the balcony and read the Quran. And uh, this is a church. Yeah, so I'm sitting in the balcony of the church. But what the people who required that I read the Quran didn't understand is that the Quran is written in Arabic. And in order for it to provide any benefit spiritually, you have to read it in Arabic. It's not like the Bible is for Christians. For us, the Bible, the closer the language is to your heart language, the better. And that's why we're constantly translating the Bible. We have a very connected relationship to the Bible, very important relationship. But reading the Quran is not one of the five tenets of Islam, actually. And if you want to have any spiritual benefit whatsoever, it has to be in Arabic. Well, I spoke Persian. I could not read or write Arabic. And so I couldn't do what they asked. But I didn't want to argue. They were my teachers. So I just would read when I was sitting upstairs in that balcony, romance novels. Those were the books I would sneak under my cloak in in my uniform and go upstairs and I would read romance novels in the church. (laughs) Suffice it to say, I never heard the gospel. I did learn a few things about love, but I don't think that's what Jesus had intended when he was talking about love. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, I obviously did not become a Christian, but nobody tried to share the gospel with me. Okay, so that's, that's something really interesting or sobering. That here you are in, in the UK, definitely Christian background, and not one person reached out to you to share about Jesus and the good news and what that means. Not one person. And, and I can say that for the next 10 or 11 years, this pattern continued when I moved to the U.S. No one shared the gospel. No one invited me to church. No one invited me to Bible study. I just never had that. So in the U.S. as well, when you moved to the U.S., nobody shared the good news with you. Yeah. I mean, I lived in the U.S. longer than I had in England, but I think people did not want to offend me because of my background. And I completely understand that. I I hate offending people too. But the difficulty with that was that when at the age of 25, I went through a very difficult circumstance in my life, something that broke my heart. And at that point, I was deeply looking for answers. I had no answers. I had nothing to turn to. I couldn't figure out how do you live a life that is worthy? How do you live a life that offers you peace even when all around you are storms? I couldn't figure it out. I had no answers. And so at that point is when I had a dream. And in my dream, so now I'm in my mid-twenties, and in my dream, I'm by the Sea of Galilee. And I know that the man walking toward me in this dream is Jesus. Okay, why did you know that? It's a dream world. I just knew it. Now, I will probably go down in history as the only person or one of the only people who, when I first saw Jesus, my first response was, disappointment. And the reason is that my only exposure to Jesus had been when I was a kid in England and watched a couple of movies during Easter and Christmas about Jesus' life. He was really good looking. He was Hollywood looks, you know, in one version, he had blonde uh, hair and blue eyes and an aquiline nose, but he was good looking. But the Jesus of my dream was homely. He was not attractive. And of course, I had never read the Bible and I would read 
a year later in Isaiah, as it speaks, as it speaks a foreshadowing about the Messiah, that he won't be much to look at. Well, I didn't know any of that. <laughs> in my dream, I had taken my worldly concepts with me. And when I saw him, I thought, that's Jesus? And I remember thinking something like, like God couldn't do better for his son. And, but a, a minute later or a second later, I forgot about all of that because I, he had approached me close enough now that I could look into his eyes. And in his eyes, I saw a love that I will never forget because I had never experienced that profound, pure love. And it's the love that put him on the cross for me that was reflected in his eyes. But in his eyes, I also saw a power that I had never experienced on earth. The power that put the stars in the sky, in the heavens and named them. And that combination made me speechless and almost brought me to my knees. And now that I know Philippians 2, where it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. I know exactly what it means because in that moment, my knees almost collapsed <laughs> looking into his eyes. And I knew that he was the son of God. <laughs> so you asked me earlier, how did you know? I don't know. And I cannot tell you that I could have written a treatise on the theology of it, but I knew <laughs> without any doubt. Once I looked into his eyes, that this Jesus was the Son of God. You know, because when you look in the eyes of Jesus, you see the Creator and the Redeemer of the world who, who put it all into motion. And when you look in his eyes, you can't help but know. Absolutely. I think, again, it was that combination of I am loved, I am sustained, I am protected, I am cherished. I'm held in the palm of a hand larger than mine. This is the rock that is higher than you are. You know, you describing looking into the eyes of Jesus and seeing that reminds me of the, the hymn. We think it's a hymn in Colossians 1, where Paul writes, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And it goes on. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. But as you're describing this dream, I'm thinking of Colossians 1. Amen. Amen. I think one of the things you will find is that the dreams that are from God will always, always support the scriptures they they are based on the truth and therefore what what they reveal is what scripture reveals so jesus in the dream asked me to follow him and i did but when i woke up i was not a christian yet and the reason i say that is because i still had not heard the gospel i didn't know i was a sinner I didn't know Jesus died for me. I didn't know what happened on the cross, that he laid down his life, that he paid the ransom, that I was a slave to sin, that I was a slave to death, that I was a slave to an enemy from whom I could not release myself, that all my destiny, every relationship, every interaction that I ever had, my gifting, my destiny, everything was in, in the grip 
of this death and this sin. And I could not release myself. And on the cross, the Lord paid the ransom to release me and my destiny. And all that was mine. I did not know any of this. And I did not know that the first step was to say, I am sorry, Lord, forgive me. I have failed you. I have failed others. Forgive me. And you are the only way I can find forgiveness. I can be cleansed. I can be released and I can walk this new destiny. So I had no idea of that gospel message. But I woke up with three days of unshakable peace because I had had an interaction with a living God. Yeah. So how did you come into contact with the gospel? How did you finally hear the gospel? I think what happened during the dream is even though I did not become a Christian, some stronghold over me did break so that I was able to receive the gospel. Because immediately after that, very shortly after that, I was now surrounded by people who did invite me to church and Bible study. And I went because I loved them. I saw in them something different. And I kept saying, well, what is it about you? How is it that your marriage is so happy? Because I saw my parents' marriage not be happy. And, and you guys have less in common than my parents did. But you are so loving. How, what is that? And they would say, Jesus. I would say, well, what makes you be so gracious to your grandmother? What is that? And they would say, Jesus. And I would say, okay, like, besides that. Because I, I grew up in my parents' household, and I felt like I don't need a religion. I just need a list of do's and don'ts. Show me how you came to this place. And they said, it's not a list. It's a person. Hmm. And so finally, one day, I said to myself, 99.9%, and that's the measure of my arrogance, 99.9%, I'm right and they're wrong. But 0.1%, what if I'm wrong? Hmm. What if it's really Jesus? What am I losing here? And all Jesus needed was my 0.1%. And then he grasped a hold of my heart and I fell in love with him. And I have to say, my walk with Jesus started with a relationship of love. The intellectual pursuit came later. And it came. But it wasn't arguments that won me. It wasn't an intellectual pursuit that won me. It was experiencing Jesus and the love he has for us and recognizing that's what I need. I do need a savior. Mm. And I've never outgrown that. I think my father was sort of, he came to my baptism and he was both curious and horrified at the same time. My mother, who was still living in England at the time, she, she sent me a letter back then. This is when you still sent letters with stamps and all those things. I don't know if your listeners will remember those. <laughs> but you actually, it, you know, back then you actually had to lick your stamps to stick it on your envelope. Yes. And she, she sent me a letter saying, how have I failed you that you need to become a follower of Jesus, that you need to be religious in any sense. Mm. But my father also saw a change in me. So he was curious, how did I go from so much unrest to this deep peace? And so he wanted to know, and he started going to Bible studies just to understand me, I think. But then he started his own path. And a few years later, he was baptized in the name of the Lord, and he was over 70 years old. And if any person, if there's someone in your life that you think this is impossible, I have someone in my life right now who is proving really impossible. But I remember my dad, my dad was an impossible case. 
and yet he gave his heart to Jesus. Anybody can do that. We have 40,000 plus Muslim friends here in West Michigan, and I, I just have a sense that they check in on on our radio show from time to time just to hear what those Christians are talking about, you know, and I'm thinking that maybe right now there's a Muslim listening and uh, you're a, a Muslim background believer in Jesus, born and raised Muslim, but you have given your life to Jesus. What do you say to the that Muslim friend who's listening? First of all, welcome. I'm so glad you are listening to us. I want you to know that you're precious to God. I want you to know that you're precious to Jesus. There are a lot of misunderstandings. Jesus is not the Son of God in the sense that God had relations with Mary and there was this baby born. That is far from the truth. The Lord is one. The Bible says the Lord our God is one. And so the sonship of Jesus is a mystery other than what we comprehend. That Jesus is the Son of God merely means that He's the part of God in a beautiful mystery. And He loves you beyond what you have ex- ever experienced of love in this world. If ever anyone abandoned you in your life, I want you to know this about God. Our God is not an abandoner. And Jesus is the proof of that. He did not abandon us to our failures. He did not abandon us to our sins. But He emptied Himself and He came to us as one of us that we may know the love of God that we may know that even though we walk far away from him, we wandered away, he would not wander from us. Jesus is the proof of God's love for you, of God's way for you. He's made a way for you. Jesus calls himself the way. And so he's the way that you can walk in order to achieve the full peace that your heart is hungry for, to arrive at the joy that only the Lord can give, and to live the life that God wanted you to have. Sometimes we try so hard. I think Muslims who practice Islam, they try to honor God so hard. They pray all the time, and they they are trying to please God. And yet, sometimes you know in your heart, as hard as you try, You're not really sure, is God pleased? Because you're so aware that you fail, that you fail to be good, that you fail to be righteous. The Bible says all have fallen short of the glory of God because all of us sin and like sheep we go astray. Jesus is God's provision for that failing because God loves you. Wow. Thank you. Our Muslim brothers and sisters know Jesus as one who healed and still pray to him as one who heals. He has not stopped healing. He's with the Lord and he he's our living God who still who still heals. Start praying to him. Start with a healing request Uh, start for a healing of your heart, if not your body. Ask him, ask him with all your heart for a healing. Because he loves you and he wants to provide for you. For many, many years, I've been 
I've been mining for stories of what God is doing in the Muslim world. And one of the phenomenons in the Muslim world is how Jesus is showing up to Muslims in dreams and visions. Uh, You had a dream of Jesus. Uh, So why do you think this is happening? Has it always been happening? And we just haven't heard about it as much, but this is not something that's rare. It happens again and again and again, because I have the stories uh, to back it up and they're reliable stories. Why is this happening? I do think it's happening in greater measure now. The Lord is doing something in that world. I cannot speak for the mind of God, and I can't tell you for sure why he's planning it this way. I can tell you my own experience. That dream was efficacious in a very powerful way. As I said, I believed in that dream a stronghold was broken, And after that dream, I was open to receive the gospel. So I think that in a spiritual sense, something very real happens in these dreams. At the same time, I can tell you that I lived in the Christian West for, I had been living in the Christian West for over 10 years at this point, and I had not been hearing the gospel. Nobody was sharing it with me. And I was open. I was cracked open at this time. I was longing for answers. Even if I would have argued with you for a year straight, my soul was cracked open and longing for answers. My fields were white. Even if I didn't act as if they were, they were. The same as my dad, who went home to be with the Lord. But, you know, I think that that's the issue. Nobody was sharing the gospel with me. So Jesus got tired of waiting and he came to visit me himself. That doesn't mean we can be lazy as Christians. That doesn't mean, well, if Jesus is going to do it himself, well, let's let's leave it to him. Because after that, I still needed my friends to come around me and to love me. So not only did they share the gospel, they didn't just say, here's a gift of a Bible. Because when they did that, I did not understand the Bible at all at the beginning. I did not yet have the gift of the Holy Spirit. The biggest gift they gave me was their love, their open homes, their hospitality. They received me. They uh, received me with perfect acceptance where I was. They were so gracious. And I knew when I went into their homes, they weren't just after me to make me Christian. They really loved me. They really liked me. And they enjoyed my company, my companionship. So we need more of that in the kingdom of God. Tessa, do you have opportunities? Do you do you reach out to, to Muslims? Do you have Muslim friends? Is that part of your life? It isn't at the moment. Interestingly, the Lord has opened a different path for me. My path is with Christians and non-Christians, a path of encouragement, deepening our faith. I believe our world is getting to a place where our faith is under attack. And so I feel my calling is to deepen the faith of the faithful. It's time for us to be deeper worshipers for God. And unfortunately, we're going the other way. The church is becoming a little more fluffy in our faith and in our response to God. We're not sending deep roots. We're not those oaks of righteousness that the, the Bible talks about. 
Many are, but a lot of us are becoming more and more superficial in our faith. And I feel like my calling is to call the church into a deeper walk, into a deeper love, into deeper communion. And that's what the Lord has called me. How do we go deeper? How do I go deeper with God, into God, his word, his love, into this communion you're talking about? For me, I think I try to be honest, bring the depth of your hearts. What is my relationship with God really like right now? Have I been offended by God? Am I angry with God in some places? Is my history informing my faith more than the word of God? In other words, sometimes our histories, there are disappointments in there. There are traumas in there. There are sorrows in there. And those tell us more about who God is and who I am than what the Bible tells us who he is and who we are. And we have to come to grips with that. We have to look in the mirror of the light of God reflecting into us. And so you have to go deeper into yourself before God. You have to go deeper into the word. I do a lot of word studies. So we understand the word of God more comprehensively. We understand it in context. So people have been writing me, hey, I started your Bible study, but the first chapter isn't even about Ruth. It's about judges. You know, everybody thinks, oh, the book of Ruth is so romantic and lovely, and they're expecting something sweet. And here I, I start with a bang in the book of Judges, because the book of Judges is hard. It's about a lot of failure. But the book of Ruth tells us the events of this book took place during the time of Judges, toward the end of Judges, which are the worst of times. Everybody's failing, not just the ordinary people, religious leaders, political re- leaders, everybody is failing. In- but in order to understand the book of Ruth, you have to understand the context. So we, we need to go deeper, have a deeper understanding of what God is trying to call us into. Hmm. Uh, what I'm hearing you say is that to go deeper, we got to face the deep pain of our own lives and how that pain is, is lying to us about God and at the same time bring that pain to the Word of God and, and ask the Holy Spirit for a great reversal that we would begin to realize who we are, not from the pain, but from His words. Absolutely, Perry. It also teaches us to look upon others not through the lens of our own past, of our own prejudice, of our own brokenness, of our own histories, but through the lens of God. So really being healed toward ourselves, being healed toward God and being healed toward others. Thanks for listening to Perry and Shauna Replay. To learn more, text us at 800-968-8930. That's 800-968-8930. 